tucked into the heart of the financial district of San Francisco is a peculiar sight. Then again, San Francisco is a city of peculiar sights. I'm often reminded of the words of writer and playwright Tony Kushner when he described what heaven or hell was like in the play Angels in America. An ailing Roy Cohn asks his nurse, named Belize, what comes after the misery of life is over. Belize responds, it's like San Francisco. <laughs> Big city, overgrown with weeds, but flowering weeds. On every corner, a wrecking crew and something new and crooked going up catty corner to that. Windows missing in every edifice like broken teeth. Gritty wind and a gray high sky full of ravens. Prophet birds. Piles of trash but lapidary like rubies and obsidian. And diamond-colored cowspit streamers in the wind. If you've ever been to San Francisco, I suspect there might have been some resonance with that description. I know there was for me. Never before had I found a city with so many piles of trash everywhere. But beautiful trash. Beautiful. Expensive furniture, clothes, random knickknacks. I even stumbled upon a giant cardboard box filled with batteries and costume jewelry. It is indeed a city of peculiar sights. So it is no wonder about a block from Chinatown on the edge of the financial district tucked just under the famous Trans-America Pyramid is a small grove of redwood trees, the few redwoods that are in the city of San Francisco itself. They are a stark contrast to the concrete and glass pyramid towering over them and the crooked hills and streets of the city. They are smaller redwoods than what most people encounter at Muir Woods or elsewhere in the Bay Area and the Pacific Northwest. But they are still magnificent. They are an ancient species of tree. And those specific trees are older than anyone in this room, older than the concrete building towering over them. And those trees were transplanted there from Santa Cruz many years ago. I think often about those redwoods these days, not just because I wonder how long they will continue to live in the age of the reality of climate change, but I also think of the great wisdom science has confirmed about trees. In his book, The Hidden Life of Trees, Peter Volleben describes the magnificence and wonder of trees. It's hard to see, read such a book and not develop an enduring, and I would say religious, reverence for trees, to see them as beings in their own right, beings that communicate with and care for one another. Now, I did not know this, but trees communicate with each other through their roots, connected to one another with a fine and fragile mesh of fungi filaments growing all throughout the soil. I had heard whisper of something like this when reading once about Pondo, the 106-acre forest of quaking aspens that share a single root system. But this is more than a single root system. This is two organisms, trees and fungi, connecting with one another in order to communicate across species and across great distances. It is in this interconnected web, what Volleben jokingly calls the wood wide web. 
that trees emit electrical currents, much like the neurons in our brains do, to warn of incoming insect attacks, droughts, or other threats to their existence. If a beech tree registers damage, what we would call pain, they can warn the maples and oaks near them that something is not right. This underground web will even send nutrients to younger saplings that cannot enjoy full exposure to the sun yet, but through this they can still flourish. And as if this wasn't astonishing enough, adult trees have been known to move out of the sun, putting themselves at a disadvantage so more light can reach the saplings below. These remarkable facts of nature are but a fraction of what researchers have learned about what could best be called the democracy of trees, the interconnectedness of a variety of species with the intent of one another's flourishing in community in the forest. I think often about those redwoods in the heart of San Francisco. What does it look like for a tree to be confused ripped out of the ground the forest they knew and put into a different soil. How confusing those first decades must have been. How odd and wondrous it could have been to be somewhere new, somewhere different. But I also wonder about their roots. Digging into the soil beneath San Francisco, connected to one another by an entirely new network, what signals are they sending to one another? What warnings? What new information? What breaking news is shared amongst the dozen redwoods in a forest of concrete? What foresters and researchers have confirmed about the democracy and communication of trees is nothing new. Indigenous peoples across North America have woven together stories of trees long before European settlers came to this continent. Furthermore, the indigenous peoples of this continent have modeled societies after the wisdom of trees, even modeling voices of reclaiming power and justice here and now in 2019 after the wisdom of those same trees. On the other side of America, far away from those redwoods, there is what is known as the Maple Nation. Those of you from New England might be familiar with the term, or you have even claimed it before. The phrase Maple Nation comes to us from the Haudenosaunee people, better known to us as the Iroquois Nation. To the Haudenosaunee, they consider the maple tree to be the leader of the trees. It was known that they formed an intricate network. Somehow they knew this, that they communicated with one another. They provided shelter for songbirds. They filtered the water. Their leaves created soil, the same soil tilled by those peoples for strawberries, apples, and corn. Their sap to many of the tribespeople tribes is life-giving. Its sugar-rich, distinctive flavor is consumed even now by the indigenous peoples of New England and Canada. A spoonful of maple syrup a day, sometimes called vitamin M, keeps the medicine man or woman away. <laughs> but even the very act of boiling down the sap taught the indigenous peoples of this land that what is good and life-giving sometimes takes patience, time, and a whole lot of mess. Robin Wall Kimmerer, a citizen of the Potawatomi Nation, asks in her book, Braiding Sweetgrass, 
What does it mean to be a citizen of the Maple Nation? She asked that question for her people, for her fellow indigenous Americans, and for all Americans, even the world. What does it mean to let our roots grow deep and strong in their own right, but to also let them be woven together with the roots of other beings by a fragile, interconnected mesh? How are human beings connected in such a way, she asks, and in what ways are we desperately in need of this interconnectedness? The indigenous peoples of this continent would say, we should readily have answers to those questions. The Haudenosaunee looked to the maples, not because they thought of them as wiser beings than any other, but because they saw them as siblings. They saw them as being interconnected with all life. And we affirm that connection as Unitarian Universalists. Kimmerer also asks us to consider, what does it mean to harvest what we need from our fellow beings responsibly? to let it boil and simmer for a good long while, to be patient, to wait for what can feel like an eternity for that which is life-giving to emerge. The final question for us, then, is that if we haven't already declared our citizenship, what will it take to declare such a citizenship in the interconnectedness of all life? She asked that final question of us symbolically, I suspect a small number of Unitarian Universalists can claim an authentic and tribally recognized indigenous identity, but this wisdom is offered to us by a citizen of the Potawatomi Nation. We are intricately bound together with all life on this planet, and the question coming to us from a people's whose relationship with the earth was to listen to the heartbeat of it in every single thing they did the question asks us, what will it take to affirm our interconnectedness, to nurture it, to work for that which is life-giving even if the progress is slow, and, like the Redwoods transplanted to San Francisco, to create new connections and relationships with the world around us? These are big questions. And today is New Member Sunday, where this living tradition, Unitarian Universalism, has welcomed into our midst people from all walks of life. What co new connections will we make? How will we nurture one another as a community? How will we discern when to move out of the way and let the sun shine down on new life? There is a great deal of wisdom for us, Unitarian Universalists, defined in the wisdom of the trees and the wisdom of our indigenous siblings felt amongst the wet redwoods, the acacias, the aspens, and the maples. To declare citizenship in any community is to commit ourselves to its flourishing, to its continued health, to letting go of some of our own aspirations at times to make way for what is good and right in this moment, knowing that our day will come. When a tree dies in the forest, its contribution to the democracy of trees does not end. It becomes a habitat for small animals, bugs, bacteria, birds. It slowly breaks down and is absorbed into the soil, getting swept up in the networks of roots as nutrients, or it creates new soil entirely. This is part of our call as a community.
Not to die, though our mortality is a reality, but to declare our citizenship in our chosen communities, to recognize our interconnectedness, to be patient, and to support those who came after us, leaving a legacy that builds up the gathered body instead of holding it down. And as if that weren't enough, we are also called to adapt, like the redwoods in the heart of San Francisco, to find ourselves in a place that is potentially unfamiliar, but still to thrive, to grow deep, and to forge that delicate network of mutuality. It sounds like wisdom for Unitarian Universalists in the Bible Belt, if I've ever heard it. It all boils down to no maple syrup puns intended, but we are asked to discern the question whether we are a new member or a longtime member or still figuring out what our relationship is to this community. What is our ministry? How will we support this church? Where will our gifts be of use? And how will we empower those around us to find their ministry as well? May we all be so connected as the Redwoods of the West and the Maples of the East, as Unitarian Universalists in Lexington, Kentucky. Blessed be. Amen.